Welcome to the Vertical Church Podcast. Now, here's Pastor Josh Butcher with today's message. Hey, good morning. How are you this morning? Doing good? Yeah, well, um, as as you probably already know when you came into um, church this morning, we were supposed to have a tailgate party today, and uh, the weather did not cooperate, and then it didn't cooperate with the forecast that we thought it was going to cooperate with. But anyway, uh, we've got that uh, rescheduled for October the 11th, so uh, there's just more time for the procrastinators to invite their friends, right? How many procrastinators in the room? Like, I've got my hand up. I can admit it. I'm praying about it. Uh, Maybe you can pray for me, and uh, and maybe together we'll pray through, and and Jesus will uh, help us all, right? Uh, procrastinating, man, that's something that I struggle with. Uh, but it's okay, you know, uh, because I work quick under pressure. That's what, that's the thing, you see. If you're a procrastinator, you just fall back on, I work better under pressure. I, I work better under pressure, and so i got to let the pressure build up through my procrastination so that I can be focused. My ADD has a trouble focusing if I don't have, like, pressure on me. So uh, I procrastinate to counterbalance my uh, personality. So anyway, um, we're excited that you're here today. Uh, like Pastor Kelly said, if you're a first-time guest, we're really uh, thrilled that you decided to join us this morning. Uh, we, we're just a bunch of people who love Jesus and like to point people to Jesus and like to talk about Jesus. And so we're going to talk about Jesus today. Uh, we're going to talk about him in the context of F-bomb. Uh, that's our series that we've got going on. We like to do series here at Vertical Church. Basically what that means is we pick a topic, we talk about it for three, four, or five weeks, say everything that we know to say about it, and then we move on to another topic. Sometimes it's a, a topic like F-bomb, which is family. Sometimes we talk about family. Sometimes we open up a book of the Bible or a letter in the Bible, and we just go through it line by line. We did that last summer, and uh, it, it took 12 or 13 weeks to get through the letter of Ephesians, and I said, I'll never do that again, because that was... Like, you, you try to take somebody, like I just admitted, I you know, struggle with attention deficit and all that. You take somebody to try to focus on the same topic for 13 weeks in a row, that's a miracle right there. But anyway, um, we're excited that you're here. This is week two. We kicked this off last week by, uh, by talking about um, the, the space between what is ideal, what we see in Scripture, what Jesus tells us family is supposed to look like. What Paul tells us, Peter tells us family. Here's what it's supposed to look like. So we said there's a space between that ideal picture of family and the reality that we're all living in. You know what I mean? Like real is you might be here and you might be divorced. Real is, you know, maybe you're in your marriage and your marriage is struggling. Real is, is you're, you're going through tough times. Maybe you're a newlywed and you've been married a few months and that first year has just been torture. You know, you thought you loved this person and now you don't know who you married. And that's real, you know? Uh, real is your kids are going crazy. Real is, is you fight constantly at bedtime. Real is you thought that you and your spouse were supposed to experience intimacy but you feel distant from him or distant from her. That's real. Real is is, uh, we don't have the ideal family. We don't have the picture-perfect family. We we don't have the, like, postcard family. We have the awkward family photo family. You know what I mean? (laughs) Like, that's not perfect, that's a little weird sometimes, that's a little awkward sometimes. Or maybe real for you this morning is that you 
Things are going great. They, you've got the great, you've got a great family. It's ideal. Everything seems to be perfect. But you're just waiting on the bomb to explode. And you're just waiting on, the, on, on everything to kind of implode and crash down. What we said is that in that space between the reality of our lives and the perfection that we're shooting for is this tension. Because we ask the question, you know, if, if, if that's ideal and here's real and we can't get there, should we just collapse ideal into real? Should we just make what is normal for me and normal for you the perfection that we're shooting for? Should we just make that the goal? Or is there something different? Is there something better? Well, our culture constantly tells us to just, no, 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 you're fine. That's normal. That's okay. Everybody struggles with that. Here, let's give everybody a trophy, everybody a ribbon. Nobody needs to feel awkward. Nobody needs to feel left out, right? That's our culture. It's the, it's the everybody gets a trophy culture. Everybody's good. Everybody's a winner. We don't take score. Let's not, no, no, no. Let's just normalize what is real and make it the ideal that we're shooting for. But then something inside of us knows that's not, uh, it's not quite right, you know, especially when we think about our kids. Because when we think about our kids, we think, you know, I don't want my kids to grow up and have a real marriage. I want them to grow up and have an ideal marriage. I don't want my kids to grow up and have, you know, the family like we have, you know, we're fighting. No, no, when I think about my kids, I want them to have everything that I didn't have. I want them to have perfection. So something inside of us knows that, ah, there's this tension here, and and, and here I am, but there's where I want to be, and uh, how do I get there? And then when Jesus enters the picture, Jesus makes it perfectly clear that there's space between the ideal and the real. In fact, Jesus cranks up ideal a few notches. Jesus raises the standard, and then he comes along and he says, okay, let me raise the standard, and now let me tell you about my grace that's available to everybody. Let me, let me jack up what perfection looks like, and then let me show you my love. And what, what we said last week, check this out on the screen behind me. This is kind of the key thought that we, that, we narr- that we focused in on last week. We said Jesus taught toward an ideal, not and ideal. That's a typo. That's my fault. Jesus taught toward an ideal, yet he refused to condemn those who fell short. He, he did it in every area of life, too. It wasn't just family life. He, he was like, I want you to live in the tension where you realize you'll never measure up. That you'll never, you'll, you'll never meet the standard that you're shooting for. But when you realize that, I don't want you to give up in light of the ideal. No, no, no. I want you to realize the tension and to live with the tension and the satisfaction that my grace is sufficient. For you. I want you to live in the place of grace because grace lives in the space between the ideal and the real. We, we, we remove ourselves from grace when we collapse the ideal into the real. Well, today we're going to continue talking kind of about that space and about the reality of our families, the reality maybe of your marriage. If you're single, this is going to be applicable to you because you're looking maybe perhaps by chance uh, for somebody. And if you're not, then, then our approach to singleness is, is there's not, you're not missing anything. You're complete and you're whole in your relationship with Jesus. You're just looking for somebody else to run with 
towards Jesus. You're not looking for somebody to complete you. You're looking for a running partner. And so um, if, if you're not, you know, if you're not married, this is still going to be awesome and, and applicable to you. We summarize the entire New Testament into four statements. Kind of all that the New Testament says about family and relationships. And we said it, it's these things. Look at this on the screen with me. Number one, husbands, love your wives and honor them. Number two, wives, submit to your husbands. Number three, children, obey your parents. And fathers, don't irritate your children. Paul, Peter, James, John, all of them kind of pretty much say this. Now, when we look at that, that's pretty ideal, right? Like that's, you know, uh, probably, you know, I look at this and my first thought is hashtag fail, (laughs) right? Like let me take an Instagram picture of that and then the the only post is just going to be hashtag fail. I don't measure up. I fail at that. You know what I mean? Like, like, like that's that's our lives. But, but, but the option that we have is: is are we going to? Are we just going to take that and say, ah, that doesn't apply to us anymore? Let's just standardize what we have today. Or do we shoot for something else? And here's the deal: if you're a Jesus follower in the room, he doesn't give you an option. He, he doesn't give you an option. He says, I want you to live in that space between shooting for this and the reality of your life. And you're like, you might be thinking. <laughs> Pastor Josh, Jesus doesn't know my husband. You know, like, Jesus doesn't know my wife. I'm supposed to love her. Yeah, yeah, Jesus doesn't know my kids. I know. Yeah, he does, actually. He created them, all of that. But, but anyway, I understand what you're saying. Because, because this isn't, oftentimes this isn't real. This is ideal. Well, today what I want to do, this is going to be really fun. I want to tackle on this list the... Uh, the, the most difficult, controversial, politically incorrect, confusing. Anybody got a guess to what we're going to talk about? Yeah. <laughs> Number two, wives submit to your husbands. And I can already feel, this is so cool, man. I can already feel some of the ladies in the room going. <laughs> we are never coming back here. Again. I'm not going to embarrass us. Chill, okay? Just, just relax. I think you're really going to like what I have to say. Here's how Paul said that in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. He said it like this. He said, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. Now, let me preface this by saying, uh, as a pastor, I get asked Bible questions, right? Like people come up and they're like, hey, doesn't the Bible say, and they quote some verse. And a lot of times, men will come up and they'll say, Pastor Josh, man, you need to you need to talk to my wife because because she's not acting right. Doesn't the Bible say wives submit to your husbands? And I'll always, here's my response every time I've preached this before. So those of you who've been around for a while, you know this is my response. My response is, hold on, bro. Who? Well, what's the first word of that verse? Wives. Okay. Sounds to me like Paul is talking to the wives. Are you a wife? No, 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 I'm a husband. Okay, why don't you focus on the verses written to you? And let her focus on the verses written to her. Because there's plenty of verses written to you, bro. So why don't you leave hers alone and just focus on what you got to focus on and let her focus on what she's got to focus on. That's pretty good, right? Ladies, I, I got your back. I want you to know that. I need you on my team this morning. So, thank you. So Jesus had all this teaching. 
about love and grace and the kingdom of God. And, and then he, he ascended into heaven, right? And his disciples, his followers, they're, they're looking around. They're going, oh, you know, how do we take Jesus' teaching? How do we take this story that he gave us? How do we take this good news? How do we take the grace of God, the love of God? How do we take the life of Jesus and then, and then look at the church and, and look at the community of believers and then say, uh, how, how do we apply it to them? How do we apply it to our real lives? Some instances, they would say, how do we apply it to our families? How do we take the story of Jesus? How do we take the love of God? How do we take the grace of God and what Jesus did coming to this, to this earth and die? How do we take that and apply it to our families? Now, up to this point in culture in the New Testament, it was all basically might makes right. You know what I mean? Like if the, the person who's in power gets to make all the rules and they get to set the agenda and they get to determine what, what is acceptable and not acceptable. If you had the power, then you had everything. And then Jesus shows up and he completely flips that upside down. There's a story in the Gospel of John, I think it's chapter 13, where it says Jesus realizing that God had given him all power and authority. The first thing Jesus does when he realizes I've got all, I'm the most powerful person in the room. Jesus takes off his clothes and washes his disciples' feet. And so I think I kind of got this, this imagination that says that, that Peter and Paul and John and James and these people who are writing bits and pieces of the New Testament are looking at stories like this and they are saying, what does that look like in a family? What would, that, what would that look like as a father? What would that look like as a wife? And that's where this writing comes from. But this is verse 22. Verse 21 is the place where, where Paul writes this overarching idea that, catch this, verse 22 is just a single application of. Let, let's, let's jump back a verse, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, and let's look at what Paul says when he starts off this conversation about families. He says, submit to, what's that? Submit to one another out of Reverence for who? Christ. So, so when Paul wants to start this whole conversation about what does it look like to live like Jesus in your family, he starts it off by saying, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. We've talked about this before. Like I said, we did a whole series on the book of Ephesians. And we, we zeroed in on this for an entire week. And, and did you know that, that this this writing of submit is the only time submit appears? It doesn't actually appear in verse 22. Actually, it says submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, wives to your husbands. It doesn't even tell wives to submit. It just assumes that if we're submitting one to another, well then yeah, wives would submit to their husbands because we're submitting to one another. The verb isn't even there. It's just assumed. So so I want to teach you kind of a fancy way of talking about this. This is kind of your, your theological uh, nugget of the day. There's a phrase that we use when we talk about this big idea that, that Jesus followers operate under, that everybody submits to everybody else in the family. And we use this word here. Look at it on the screen. It says mutual submission. That's what we're going to talk about today. Mutual 
submission. Now, what is that? What does that look like? Well, well, mutual submission is basically I'm going to leverage my power, my time, my ability, my skills, my talents, all that I have. I'm going to leverage it for you, for your benefit. In other words, I'm giving you me. That's what it looks like to submit. I'm giving you me for your benefit. All that I have for all that you need. I'm going to, I'm going to leverage everything that I have for you. And, and notice what Paul says. Out of reverence for Christ. Not out of reverence for each other. I don't submit to one another because one another is worthy of submitting to is one another. <laughs> Are you worthy of submitting to? I'm not. And I can guarantee you that you're not. And that's why Paul says we don't submit to each other because we are worthy. We submit to each other because he is worthy. Amen. And this, this is, this is Christian Family 101. Like this is the basics of what it looks like to be a family that follows after Jesus. Mom, dad, brother, sister, grandma, grandpa, uncle, aunt, cousins. We submit to each other out of reverence for Christ. We look at each other and say, I will give you all of me for all that you need. Because Jesus did that for us. Mutual submission is one of the most powerful relational attitudes and dynamics that you can come across. It is, it is so powerful. I'm going to loan you myself for your benefit. And the reason that it's so powerful is because it's exactly what Jesus did for us. It's exactly what he did. He put us first. He came, he died so that we didn't have to. Jesus gave all of himself to us for our benefit. And I, and I imagine that Paul is, is, is writing this and he's thinking, what does that look like in a family? What would it look like if, if everybody in the family had the mind of Jesus? And, and, I, and I kind of see him thinking, oh, I know. Just like Jesus submitted himself for us, for our benefit, then so should we submit ourselves to each other for their benefit. Not out of reverence for each other, but out of reverence for who Christ is and what he's done for us. Now, that sounds real. That sounds all good. Okay, we're all maybe maybe we're all tracking. Maybe we're not. I want to give you one thing that you can do that will completely make mutual submission blow up in your family. I want to give you one question that if you ask this one question, I guarantee you your family will be better off in the long run. What if I said there's one question? And if everybody in your family asks this one simple question each day to each other, that your family will be radically different. Would you ask it? Some of us are like, yeah, I would ask it. Some of us are like, well, it depends on what the question is. I need to hear the question first. All right, here's the question. Look at it with me. Six words. What can I do to help? What can I do to help. How can I take who I am, what I have, what I have access to, and how can I give it to you for your benefit? What can I do to help? What can I do 
to help. Let's practice that all over the auditorium on the count of three. Let's just say this sentence to this question together. What can I do to help? Ready? One, two, three. What can I do to help? It's not too hard, is it? Just to say that. What can I do to help? Let me tell you, if you, if you will ask that question in your family every day for the next three months, it's a game changer. Your family, I, I promise you, if you do this for three months until Christmas, okay? Do it through Christmas every day. Honey, what can I do to help? Uh, honey, what can I do to help? Son, what can I do to help? Dad, what can I do to help? It will change your family. This is an offer of all of me for what you need right now. Now, let me talk to the students real quick. Those of you who are in middle school and high school. If you ask this question, first you'll have to pull your, your mom and dad's jaw off the ground because ain't no parent expecting their teenager to ask this question, okay? Nobody. You ask this question, and, and, and they won't even be able to answer. They'll just be shaking in the kitchen, right? Like, like you going up to your room, and it'll be dinner time, and mom's still just, oh, God, I don't know what happened, right? Extra points if you ask this question when their friends are over, okay? Let's say, let's say you know, everybody's sitting at the dinner table, and they've got friends over, right? And, and like, everybody's finished, and before you go up to your room, your Xbox, and start diving into whatever you're playing, you just look at mom and dad, hey, what, what can I do to help? They're all shocked, and when you leave, I guarantee you their friends are just going to go, we know nothing. <laughs> Teach us. What are you doing? We are your servants. Teach us your ways. I promise you. Revolutionize your family. Just, just <coughs> mom, dad, mom, stepdad, stepmom, dad, what, what can I do to help? I, I want to. I, I don't have much. I, I don't have that many talents. I don't have that many skills. I have limited amount of time. What can I do to help what you're doing, parents? You know what I know. I, I'm a parent of a nine-year-old, a six-year-old, and a two-year-old. So I don't have a teenager yet. So I don't quite know all the ins and outs of being a parent of a teenager. I'll pretend that I do, but I do know this: as a parent, your conversation can become negative so quickly. I know this, okay? I get it. Because here's what we do as parents, right? Clean your room, pick up your clothes, take your sister here, do this, do that, no, go to bed, pipe down, quiet, y'all talking, you need to go to sleep. <laughs> you are driving me crazy. As a parent, listen, I, I know this from experience. Our, our, our homes can turn negative so quick. Because we're constantly instructing and correcting and disciplining and, 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 and giving this command. And, and here's the thing, man. Some of us, and, and I fall into this trap probably more than most of the people in the room. I fall into this trap of, of, of where I feel like I'm just constantly barking orders at my kids. Go do this. You didn't do this right. Fix this. Go clean this up. No, you need to. Why did you leave this here? What are you even thinking? And, and here's the thing that this question can happen, make happen. It keeps the conversation from always going negative. If, listen, I'm, I'm actually saying, parents, you need to look at your kids every day. Hey, what can I do to help you? What can I do to help and here's the thing, man. Life is busy, and you're, you're constantly on the go, and I get that. But, but parents, look at your kids. What can I do to help? How can I loan you what I have? 
for what you're doing right now. And here's the deal. Most of the time they're going to say no. Most of the time they're not going to know what to think either. Most of the time they're going to be like, no, I'm fine. I don't need anything. But here's what it communicates. And this is so important. In, in an environment that can turn negative so fast, asking this question, parents to kids, communicates, I'm here I'm not here to order you around. I'm not here to command you. I'm here for your benefit. And some of us parents, listen to me, some of us think we're too good for that. And some of us think that I'm the parent, I'm the dad in the house. Everybody's got to do what I say. No, no, no. That's not what Jesus did, is it? It's not. It's, it's the exact opposite of Jesus. Jesus came and he came as a servant and he came and he said, I'm for you. I'm, I'm more powerful than you. I have more authority than you, but I'm going to lay it all down and I'm going to be your servant. And if we're going to be parents who follow Jesus Christ, we've got to do the same thing for our kids. Ladies, let me talk to you for a second. Now, I know if you ask this question to, you, to the men in your life, right? Maybe your husband, maybe it's a dad, maybe it's, you know, a boyfriend or a cousin. If you... My, most of the time, here's the response you're going to get. Oh, 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 I'm a man. I don't need anything. <laughs> well, what can I do to help? Nothing. I got it all under control. <laughs> I need no help. And they use that deep voice because they're trying to feel manly, right? But, but, but again, what it does is, is, it, is it says to your husband or says to, you, to, the, to the men in your life, look, I know what you're doing is important. I get it. I want you to know I appreciate you. Is there anything I can do? to take something off of you so that you can go further, faster in your life. What can I do to help? Men. <laughs> we are terrified of this question, right? <laughs> we are so scared of this question. We refuse to ask this question because we know she's going to have an answer. <laughs> and here's the thing, guys. Your wives know you're terrified of this question. <laughs> And that's why they don't ask. Because that time they did, you got all huffy. What are you talking about? I don't got time to do that. I don't have time for that. I have to, I'm so busy. And when you ask, wife, honey, dear, whatever you call her, what, what can I do to help you? What, what can I do? What you're communicating is, is I'm willing. I'm willing to, to, to give you who I am for what you need. I don't just expect you to be the only one giving. I'm willing to give to you for what you need. Now, like I said, men aren't the only one who are terrified of asking this question. It's, it's the block for why we won't ask this question. All of us in the room, we're scared. We're fearful that, that somebody's going to take advantage of us. If we, if we ask this question, then somebody's going to, to take us off of our thing and get us onto their thing. And we're not going to get to finish what we started. And we're, not going to, we're, we're going to have to, to, to not be first anymore. You know what I mean? We're, we're, we're afraid that they'll have an answer. And we won't get to accomplish what we set out to accomplish. We'll get caught up in their business and we'll, we won't be the center of our universe anymore. Which is exactly why Ephesians 5.21 is so important. There's a sense, right, that God is looking over this whole big messed up world. He's like, man, this world is jacked up and messed up. And it's, there's a sense that Jesus kind of walks into the room and he says, hey, dad, what can I do to help? 
father looks at him and says, son, you don't want to know. You don't want to know, son. No, 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 dad, really. What can I do to help? Well, you really want to know? Yeah, dad, I really want to know. Okay, you're going to have to go there and be number two, not number one. You're going to have to go there, and you're going to have to get behind every person who's ever lived and become a servant to every person if you're going to help them. Jesus says, I'll do that. I can do that. Are are you sure it's going to cost you everything? Father, I said, what what can I do to help? I'll do that. And Paul says, out of reverence for Jesus, out of reverence for Christ, who got under the weight of our sin and bore the weight of our sins so that we wouldn't have to. Paul says, we need to each look for ways to get under each other's weight and bear it for each other, just like Jesus did for me, for you. Taking all that we have, and you know what? You might not get everything done that you're trying to get done. And you know what? You you might get pulled off onto another track that you didn't plan on. Welcome to being a follower of Jesus. That's right. Welcome to being a, a, a Jesus follower. And out of reverence and gratitude for what he did for me, I'm going to take what I have, and I'm going to ask others in my family, what can I do to help you? And 99.99% of the time, it's not going to cost you your life. You're not going to have to give your life. It's just going to cost you some some time, some sweat, some energy, some frustration, right? Right? Because as soon as you ask that question, she's just going to look in the closet where that Ikea box has been sitting for three months. And you know it doesn't have all the parts in it. And you've been putting it off. And you're just like, oh, I don't want to put together Ikea furniture tonight. Spend the next three hours putting together this table. Gosh, what can I do to help? Here's the thing that this question points us towards. Here's the thing this question points us towards, which is the key to having a great family. You know what a great family is made up of? Look at this with me. A great family is made up of people who are willing to give all of me for a week. That's what a great family is made of. People who are willing to give all of me, to turn me into we. And you know the only way to turn me into we is to flip me upside down. See it? It's the only way to turn me into we. Is when I'm no longer on top and I get flipped upside down. I'm on the bottom. When, When I'm more focused on we and not me. And here's the deal, man. You already know how it would affect your heart if your, if your husband started asking this question. You already know what it would do to you if your wife started asking this question, or if your kids, or if your mom, or dad, or mother-in-law, or father-in-law, or whoever it is. If, if they asked this question, and when you answered it, they didn't get huffy, you already know what that would do to your heart. And how that would connect you to them. And how that would draw the intimacy out. And how that would would bring you together. And the only reason we don't ask this question is because we're selfish. That's it. We're selfish, which means we're not willing to trade in me for a we. We're selfish. We want... We want me, which means you'll all you, you which means you won't be happy, but you'll be in charge. 
You know, you'll be, you know, you'll be large and in charge and everybody's orbiting around you, but you won't be happy because happiness does not come from when you start controlling the people in your life, but from when you trade me for we. That's where happiness comes from. Happiness doesn't come from everybody doing what you tell them to do. Happiness comes from a family of mutual submission. Everybody in the family leaning in. Nobody pulling away. Everybody leaning in. Nobody pulling away. You see, this question forces you to lean in rather than pull away. To, to lean in. And men particularly, your wife can't get you to lean in. All you do is pull away. And she's been, she, maybe she hasn't put it in those kinds of words, you know, but, but, but the only choice she and the kids have is to orbit their lives around your big old ego. And you don't have time, and you're working late, and your deal is more important, so everybody just keeps leaning in, and, the, and, and your wife just keeps leaning in, and your kids just keep leaning in until everybody just falls over. And you look around, and you're like, well, what happened? Well, why, why did my family collapse? Why did everything come crashing down? Because everybody's leaning in for you and you're pulling away. See, this question, when we ask it, it forces us to lean in. And happiness is found when we, when we give ourselves to the people in our family, the people around us, just like Jesus did. Scripture says, who for the joy set before him went to the cross, the joy. You want joy in your life, start living like Jesus in your family. What can I do to help? Now, here's the deal. If you're not a Christian, and we don't assume everybody in the room is. Some of you, maybe you're just checking it out. You're like, I don't know about Jesus, and, the, you know, I don't know about the dinosaurs, and I don't know about, you know, creation, seven days, and all that. All of that's like peripheral stuff, and that's cool, man. You can have all your questions. Feel free to ask your questions. That's awesome. We love questions. But we don't assume everybody's a Jesus follower in the room. Here's the deal. You can take this question, you can take it home with you, and you can start asking it tomorrow. Don't ask it today because people will be like, you went to church this morning. What happened? And you're like, oh, and then you have to explain that you went to church. And you don't really want anybody to know that you came to church. So just start asking it like on Tuesday, right? They'll think it's your own idea. Here's the deal. You can take this with you. It's free of charge. We're not charging you for this question. Like, it's absolutely yours. Just take it, run with it. And I guarantee you, even if you don't know Jesus, you start asking this question in your family and the people in your family start picking up the cues and everybody starts asking this question, I guarantee you your family will be better off because you'll be leaning in, not pulling away. But here's the deal. If you are a Jesus follower, you don't have an option. It's not like this is, it's not like this is an optional lifestyle. It's not like, well, yeah, maybe I ought to do that if I get around to it. No, no, no. You don't have a choice. You see, in Romans chapter 5, verse 6, Paul is writing a different letter, and he says this. Check this out with me. He says, for while we were still hopeless, when you and I had no hope, when you and I were in the reality of our sin, looking at the ideal, knowing we'll never measure up to that, while we were still hopeless, when we were without hope, while we needed help, at the right time, not when he could fit it in, 
Not when he opened up his big day planner and said, well, I've got a little bit of time here and I'm kind of busy. Oops, sorry, you died in your sin. Oh, well, I didn't have Monday off. No, no, no. At the right time. While we were still hopeless, when we needed help, at the right time, based on our time frame, Christ died for the ungodly. Who's the ungodly? That's you and me. All us selfish people in the room who struggle with turning me upside down so that we can have a we. That's all of us in the room who are stuck in the reality of who we are trying to get to the ideal and we're living in the space between the two. We're the ungodly. And it says Christ died for us. Where do we get off thinking that, that, that living this way is an optional for a Jesus follower? It, it, it's not. This, this should be the defining characteristic of our families. When people look at our families, they should automatically see, wow, they submit one to another. And they might not call it that, and they may not use those words, but they'll notice there's something different. Because that family operates differently. And no, it'll never be ideal. And, and yes, there's the reality of today. And no, I won't always do it, get it perfectly. And yes, sometimes I'll get huffy. And sometimes I'll say something stupid. And sometimes I'll get mad. And sometimes I won't submit. But the ideal that we're shooting for, and the reality of where we're at, where we're trying to get to, is an environment in our families where everybody's asking the question. What can I do to help? What, what can I do to help? Just like Jesus did for us. Just like he did. Paul goes on to say, verse 7, he says, For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates, meaning God did something. God took an action. He demonstrated his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we weren't worthy of dying for, he died for us. It's like Jesus said, God, what can I do to help? And God says, this is what you can do. And he says, wow, that's going to be costly. They're not worth it, but I'll do it anyway. And it's kind of like Paul's looking at that whole big story and he's asking, he's just thinking, can you imagine what this would look like in a family? Can you imagine if, if the people in a family, moms, dads, sons, daughters, aunts, uncles, grandparents, uh, great-grandparents, family, what if, what if everybody in a family took their cues from what Jesus did for us? And then they extended that to the members of their family. Can you imagine what this would look like? Can you imagine? Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. Children, obey your parents. And parents, don't exasperate your kids. That's what it looks like when we come together committed to this idea of mutual submission. What can I do to help. How can I loan you who I am for what you're doing right now? You ought to try it. You ought to try it. Even if you don't mean it, you ought to try it. Even if you've got to, just got to grin and bear with me, family. What can I do to help? 
cut that out. Woo. Good job, man. Way to go. Love you, man. It sounds good. Even if you don't mean it, try it. Try it. Give it a shot. Go for it. Tell your family, I don't want, I, I don't want to pull away. I want to lean in. I want to lean into who we are. I don't want everyone to have to constantly lean in for me. I want you to know that I don't want to be in charge. I want you to know I love you. I want you to know that I'm here for you. So what can I do to help? Just like Jesus did for us. Last thing and then we'll pray. Look at this with me. When you want to ask at least, you need to ask it most. Let me pray for you this morning. Lord, we come into this room, all of us, none of us are in the ideal family. We don't have it worked out. We don't have it planned out. We've tried to get there and we've fallen short and that's exactly what your scripture says that we're going to do. We're going to fall short every time. We can't reach the standard. We can't, we can't hit the ideal. We'll never be perfect. And yet, here we are in the space between the two. God, we don't want to just collapse and make what our life looks like today normal and, and what it's supposed to be and the feelings that we have today is what we're supposed to feel. No, no, no. We see ideal. This question is just one thing that we can do to get a little bit closer. It's a question that we can all ask God if we have the courage to ask Him. So God, I pray for those of us in the room. Holy Spirit, we invite you to fight back the selfishness, to fight back the fear, to fight back the egocentrism that's in our lives. Us how to ask the question, what can I do to help? Just like Jesus did for us. As we pray this morning, you might be here today and maybe that's the question Jesus is asking you. Maybe you walked in today, you grew up in church, man, but it's been a long time. You've kind of wandered away and, and you're, you're just now kind of thinking about Maybe, perhaps, do you want to give this whole, like, Jesus thing another shot? Jesus is standing right in front of you, and he's saying, what can I do to help? What can I do to help? He's already made an offer of help. Paul tells us he's already died for us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, so that we could have a relationship with our Father. So many of us feel separated and distant. Jesus wants to help you this morning. Reconnect with your Creator. Would you take Him up on His offer? It's like Jesus is saying, What can I do to help? And your choice to lean into what Jesus is offering or pull away. Would you lean in this morning?
you lean into his grace, when you lean into his love, I'm not saying you have to have all your questions answered. I'm not saying that, that everything's going to work out perfectly and you're going to step into the ideal when you leave this theater. No, no, no. I'm just asking you to lean into his grace. Lean into the story of his love. Lean into what he did for you. Trust in that. Lean on him. What can I do to help? That's you this morning. Would you just would you just pray with me? You prayed out loud, prayed under your breath, and, and we're not like keeping track of some statistic here this morning. I just I just want you to lean in. I don't know what it looks like, and, and it looks different for everybody. But man, if you are in this place and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, He's offering today. What can I do to help? I just want you to lean in. I just want you to say, Jesus, I lean into you, into your grace. salvation. I lean into your love. Today I'm not going to pull away. It might get uncomfortable. I, it might get awkward. I'm not going to pull away, Jesus. I'm going to lean in. What can you do to help? I want to invite you to save me to forgive me of my sin, to change me. Give me your spirit to live inside of me. Help me help me bridge the space between where I am and where you want me to be. Jesus, what can you do to help? I'm asking for all that you are to meet me in all that I need. like to have a great family where we flip me upside down and we, we shoot for a we. As we do that, you just keep showing us our next step towards ideal. Thank you, Jesus, for everything that you're doing in our church, in our lives, and in our families. We love you and we know it's only by your grace and power that any of this is even possible. Thank you so much for joining us today. We always appreciate hearing how God is moving in your life. We all have a story to tell, and we'd love to hear yours. Please visit verticalchurch.tv and click on the little pencil icon called Amen Corner to tell us your story. Also, if you'd like to support the ministry of Vertical Church financially, you can do so by clicking the giving link at verticalchurch.tv. Thank you again for taking the time to join us as we point those far from God to life in Jesus.